funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, Do tell. So as I was kind of thinking forward to the next month of what we were going to be talking about, I was like, man, it'd be really funny to do like Contagion or mm-hmm. or uh, Outbreak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the the host really just managed to take care of that for me. Yeah. It's a very timely selection. <laughs> sure Somehow, sure did uh, immediately speak to uh, <laughs> the last several months of being a person on this planet. Much like Children of Men is still relevant, this is still Boy, really howdy. relevant. It turns out it's not Corona, it's Korean beer that does it. Uh, but they were half right. It is a beer, but it's Korean beer. Oh, that's too bad. I've been drinking a lot of that. Oh man! So wow, hey boys, uh, yeah, that's the uh, live studio audience you hear in the background. Sorry about that. I'm not going to edit that out. Nope, it's lazy. No worries. Hello again, and welcome to the Good Trash Undercast, where we gather around a table and discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film, continuing with our song of praise, celebrating the work of Kang Ho Song or Song K Ho, depending on whether you do it Western or Korean (laughs) style. Uh, We're looking at the movie The Host, uh, directed by Bong Joon Ho. I like to do it Gangnam style. (laughs) How's that? Do what? I can't. You you say. Open uh, Gangnam style. King Ho song and then uh, yeah, the dance. and put sunglasses on yeah. and dance at him. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all That's you, you got to do. Uh maybe Open Song Kang Ho. Now, yeah. for the record, this is not us endorsing you dancing at Song Kang Ho if you ever meet him. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. He seems like a nice man. Don't that bother him. very racist. Uh, yeah, and, point, and I don't so. know that he would know what to do with that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think he'd be He uh, seems like such a sweetheart though. He seems so nice. I was he looking at probably... a screenshot from our next week's movie and I was like, "Oh, he just looks like such a fun, lovable guy." So That's exactly how he looks in this movie, too. Yeah, I love him immediately yeah, when he shows up huggable. with his yeah his growing out bleached hair. Be there for him. I just want to give him a big hug. Anyway, what are we doing, Dustin? I'm sorry. Uh, we're talking about the host. Yep. Um. So that's the movie, and uh, we're gonna be talking about this movie like uh not critics. So this is not a review show. It's an analysis. That's show. That's right. We're talking like YouTubers. Hey, <laughs> hey. smash with... that subscribe button. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Click over here to subscribe to next episode. <laughs> I'm going to click on both your faces with my fists. There's lots um, of good YouTubers out there. I shouldn't uh, paint with too broad a brush. Uh, I have children, and there's a lot of YouTube on my TV at home, and I'm generally annoyed all the way around. But, well, yeah, that's because it's easy to grift children, so the content's worse. Yes, correct. But uh, anyway, so it's a re- analysis show, not a review show, and that means we are going to spoil the movie, so we want you to be warned about that. We'll avoid spoiling, though, as the show progresses. And as the show progresses, we get more and more spoilerific. So when we do a review, less spoilers. When we do expanding the syllabus, more spoilers. Uh, when we do uh, analysis, most spoilers. There you go. You've been warned. I have nothing further to say. Oh, by the way, I I'm, do. I'm still Dustin. Oh, well, I'm still Dalton. I'm still Arthur. Yeah, and I know what you're thinking. Dustin just said uh, th- th- this is a show where we don't talk about movies. You talk about it in a film studies course, and you're thinking to yourself, we suck. I've heard of the host. That's a good movie. People like that. It's important. South Korean cinema. I agree with you. Uh, we're doing a marathon right now, in case you're just now joining us uh, uh, this third episode in. Uh, but we're doing a marathon uh, dedicated to Song Kang-ho and how much we like him and uh, how much we wanted to dive deeper into his filmography. So, yeah, for our marathons, we tend to be a little bit looser on uh, on the rules, as, as it were, as far as the kind of movies we would normally talk about in the show. Well, and frankly, in the wake of Parasite, um, a Bong Joon-ho movie that's going to find yeah. its way into that syllabus is probably going to replace The Host. Although The Host is quite good, mm-hmm. um, this is probably not the You're selection right. that, that most um, professors are going to make. Yeah, that Palme d'Or and uh, Best Picture win probably mean if yeah, if you're doing a, just an overview of South Korean cinema or uh, a couple of directors, yeah, that's the Bong film they're probably gonna pick it has a little more history on its side now yeah definitely yeah Yeah. for sure for sure so uh anyway there you go dear listener uh you kind of know where it's all going and where it's all starting so uh, let's start where it starts arthur would you start us 
It's the story of a big fish in a little river as we take on Bong Joon-ho's The Host, following an American military team dumping formaldehyde into the Han River, which is based on true A events, real thing that happened. An odd creature begins to show itself. Gangdu is the son of a concession merchant. The two operate a food stand near the river. While attempting to correct an order, Gangdu joins a crowd observing something hanging from the bridge over the Han. It soon begins moving and makes its way to shore, attacking everyone in its path. Gangdu attempts to fend it off before attempting to get his daughter out of harm's way. But after being tripped up, Gangdu sees the monster taking his daughter across the river. Gangdu and his family must attempt to retrieve his daughter, but a number of obstacles stand in their way. The host was the winner of five Blue Dragon Awards and at the time became Korea's highest grossing film. There you go. The Blue Dragon is the um, South Korean Oscars, yeah. I assume? Yes. Yep. I, I actually yeah. did not know that. It's a big deal. It's a good movie. Yeah. It, People it, like it. It, it. Its name rang out. It uh, broke. Uh, it wasn't just a big deal in South Korea. It kind of broke out internationally. Yeah, it was probably his first big American movement, I would say. Because yeah. I remember seeing the host on store shelves and like, oh, yeah. being familiar with it as a international feature. Yeah. And so I, I think it was one of those kind of in the wake of old boy mm -hmm. to, to make that that immersion. Well, I'm glad you call it a big fish in a uh, small river. You know, that scene with you and McGregor and Danny DeVito picking it up and <laughs> yeah, you know, salmon fishing in the Yemen. Gently, yeah, I love it. gently laying it. No, I'm doing big fish. Well, Emily Blunt with him, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Who doesn't, um, doesn't uh, somebody show up later on and Helen try to. Bottom Carter. Oh, no. I was thinking about uh, the lady. Because she's that... the witch with one eye. Yeah. I was thinking about the lady that speaks in sign language to the, to the fish monster. When did oh. she show up? Did you guys? Did we watch the same movie? Hi. Uh, well, I, I, I love the oh, sex boy. scene yes, you between the main character, you and know, the, the, yeah, the Sally death. Hawkins was in the movie. Yeah, you guys the watched, death right? character. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right, right. Oh boy. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, big fish, fish little river. Uh, <laughs> big fish in a little river. A little river that is very important. Uh, that I, I learned today. Yeah, that's it's a significant body. I, of cultural water. context completely reshapes how you look at a movie. Boy, does it. Uh, I mean, don't be wrong. You can get like uh, the Cliff's Notes, not knowing anything, but once you start to scratch that itch of knowing a little bit more, oh man, does does the well get infinitely deeper? It's kind of a thing. So there you go, dear listener. Um, we're gonna go in into the next part of the show where we talk about whether we like it or not. So I'm gonna go to you first, Arthur. Do you like Big Fish? I mean, I'm sorry, little the fish. host. One fish, two fish. Um, mutant fish. 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 <laughs> yes, glow. Do fish. I like the host? Yes, um, I really appreciate the simplicity of the host. I've I've watched a few. My, I mean, I'm pretty non-read uh, in in Korean cinema. So for this month, I've been trying to watch a few more outside of what we were doing on the show. So I did a few more Park Chan Wooks. I did Snowpiercer, and the thing I've noticed is there's always these kind of and a lot of the ones I've watched anyway, there's a lot of these labyrinthine plots, mm -hmm. and then there's this big, talky third act where everything is kind of revealed. I'm thinking of Old Boy and Snowpiercer in particular, uh, where a lot of exposition and backstory is just dropped to kind of put a turn and a spin in there uh, in the in the suspense. But I, I really appreciate the kind of just straightforward narrative of this. I appreciate seeing the monster so early. So fully, it's a gorgeous creature design. It looks so cool. Um, it is a good design. I don't know. I watched this on Hoopla, and it looked like a standard def, so it didn't look great to me. Um, just the movie itself, it just kind of looked grainy, mm -hmm. and just ex exposed a little way that was kind of frustrating. And I think that was just the the. Uh, I watched it on Tubi, which I'm pretty sure was an HD print, and I, I know even when the movie came out, people were like, "Well, you know, the, the monster yeah. was done on a budget." Yeah, and I think the design that shows is and it shows, and I think it you know even thinking about what movies looked like in two thousand seven six two thousand six, um, 
it's it's still you know a, a little maybe under its contemporaries yeah. but the I mean, if you think about the poop monster in Cloverfield, which is about the same time, this just yeah. looks more interesting. It does. It's a great design. Regardless um, of, yeah, how well the CGI is. I think is. just the, the HD transfer would have helped it sure. shine a little better, because I've seen some HD captures yeah. of the stills and yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's some good really texture good. work yeah, done on its it's skin. It's real slimy. Real yeah. Icky. Yeah. Great shape, though. I like in the multiple mm -hmm. mouths thing happening. It's just a fascinating creature. Um, but I appreciate just him showing us that right off the bat. I like following the, the journey of him as a mutant fish. We see... The dumping of chemicals, and we see it as like a minnow, and then we see it fully emerged, and, and its kind of reputation already starting to grow. And so I, I really like where that goes. And uh, for me, for my money, this is probably my favorite of Song Kang Ho's performances. Um, I really like that affability that he brings early in the movie, but then that emotional point he has when he is arguing and trying to make a statement with those American scientists. And he's just, listen to me. Like, it's just a heartbreaking moment that I think he sells really well. And we talked about it early on with um, the Falking that it was a good performance, but, you know, Dustin kind of noted how he may have been borrowing some tricks here and there, but this feels like a really well-rounded performance. Mm. I think there's a little more to play with in, in uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which feels a little more straightforward in, in its dramatic uh, moments. And so I really like the song here. I like the rest of the family. Quite a bit as well. Yeah, we get a, a return from Duna Bay from last week. Yeah. Always great to see her. Yeah. I forgot she was cool. in this movie. Yeah. I know. That's, that was really cool. Um, the father, Byun uh, Hee Bong, uh, is great as well. Oh, he's I, very good. I like his little monologue when he's trying to explain why uh, Gang is, is kind of the way that he is. I, I don't want to say simple, but he is kind of very just... Not lazy. I guess he's not motivated fully. Slacker. Yeah, yeah. that's a good. He's a slacker. Yeah, type. but he, he also seems. Uh, it's yeah. It's such a great monologue, and maybe we can get into uh, as we get further into this episode. We'll kind of get into Gong Du and yeah, what's going on with him upstairs? Yeah. Um, but I I really appreciate all of that, and, and I like kind of the the tightness of it. Just look look the locale. Um, we're not going to many places. We're kind of either in the sewers. Or in the lab, so it's really self-contained in a lot of ways, and I appreciate that about about it. Um, but it's a lot to to enjoy it, and it's you know easy to kind of see where Bong was going to go and how he got to where he is. He feels very, very in tune with the the stories he's putting together, and and they feel very tight and all wrapped up. And I, I like that about him. I, I feel like his his stories are fully developed. Uh, in a way that's not always seen in, in a lot of films. And I think, you know, this is a really good example of that. Um, and just showing, you know, this is 13 years ago, 14 years ago almost, and he's just, early on, he's just going for it and yeah. doing really good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I really dig this one. Very cool, very cool. Well, what do you think, Dalton? Yeah, I'm a big fan of this. Uh, if you've seen Parasite, uh, you know that the... Uh, the son character of the Kim family um, uh, likes metaphors. He, he'll comment throughout the film a couple of times on things that happen that are metaphorical. That rock there, it is metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that monster there, that sure is a metaphor, huh? It's a metaphorical monster. Yeah, it's very much a metaphorical monster. Uh, as Arthur pointed out, the formaldehyde down the sink uh, at the orders of the U.S. Army is a real thing that really happened. Um, and this seems like a good time to point out that uh, if you look at the stats, the United States military is the number one polluter on the face of the planet. What? Uh, or top, they're way up there. Uh, to be, fair. I, I'm going to go ahead and walk that back since you said what with surprise. No, I think no, it was sarcasm. Oh, uh, with sarcasm. Okay, yeah. Yeah, sarcasm font. I don't have the stats. I'm not a doctor. You can go look it up yourself. Uh, the point is, Bong knows what he's doing here, and I, I guess when the film came out. 
um, you know, people wanted to say, oh, why'd you make an anti-American movie? He's like, okay, hold on. That's really uh, an untrue binary. And uh, I think in the conversation around things about America, it does get presented that way, right? Things are either pro-America or anti-America, as opposed to the more intellectually honest critical um, of the United States. And I think that's very important. And I, I think, as Arthur mentioned, once you start to think about cultural context, it really deepens a film. And I, I think uh, one of the strengths of the host is it makes it clear up front, you you need to understand some things here. And I think it does a very good job for a, you know somebody unfamiliar uh, with Korean culture of making it clear how big a role the U.S. Army has in goings-on of national security there. Um, if you didn't already know that, yeah, that's a thing. It just that, and I think the host does a good job of laying that out very plainly uh, to to help further the story along in, in ways that I, I think are very helpful. Uh, again, that's a big strength of it. And as Arthur mentioned, the uh, to my mind, the other great strength of this, oh, our our studio audience is knowing where I'm going. I'm about to start talking about family dynamics. Uh, Arthur's right. One of the great strengths of this film is, is that interplay between all of the characters. Uh, not only the interplay, but the arcs that are sustained within the film for each of the, the main family members. Um, and, and then again, this is something that Bong would illustrate his ability to do really well in Parasite uh, a few years later. But here, even as Arthur said, early in his career, he knows what he's doing. And that's that's just so wonderful. And again, uh, we'll talk in detail about cool things that happen in this film later. But getting that introduction to the monster out of the way early is so exciting uh, and so thrilling, and letting the film be something different for a while because you've already met the monster is such a cool choice. Uh, and, and I think that's where I'll, I'll leave my, my thumbs up, thumbs down review is every time, much like Parasite, I thought I had some idea of what the choices were going to be made, where the story was going to go. It turned things on its head and, and always kept surprising me. Uh, and I think in a genre as well-tread as the monster movie, that's an especially notable act. Uh, Parasite's kind of its own thing. It's a family drama, it's a thriller, it's a comedy, so it's not surprising when it's doing surprising things. The the host is a much straight, more straightforward genre exercise along the lines of Snowpiercer, uh, you know, a film he would do later on. Um, but yeah, that, that ability to keep you on your toes in a well-familiar uh, genre uh, is, is a, one of many great strengths here. Excellent, excellent. Um, I also like the movie quite a bit. Um, it's good. It's very fun. Um, there was a one-year-old baby, or one-and-a-half-year-old baby, who helped watch the first half of the movie, and we nicknamed the monster the Grumpy Guppy. Oh, and, Grumpy Guppy's good name. <laughs> and we, and uh, we had a good time. Oh, it's the Grumpy Guppy again. And she would point at the screen, and good times were had by all. David uh, Ehrlich named him Steve Buscemi, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny. I agree. <laughs> wow. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it works. It's, it's got layers. There's uh, levels of meaning. Uh, the monster is quite metaphorical. It is the very model of the modern metaphorical monster. And uh, I am happy about that and enjoy it thoroughly. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You're I wanted well. to let that laugh be audible. You deserved it. It was a quiet laugh at first, but I let it work its way into a real one. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot about it that really, really works. The performances are great. Uh, the CGI, mm, at times, but nonetheless, um, it is what it is for what the budget it had. And so I'm not yeah. mad about any of that. Um, I will say this, though. The second act does lose me a little bit when uh, the uh, main characters sort of uh, displace one another. There's, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. yeah. 
And so they, they all get separated and then sort of are brought back together for the third act. And that moment does feel a little drawn out. And uh, the pacing's just not quite right. Um, but, I mean, that, not a magnificent flaw, but it is vaguely yeah, flawed. The, the film kind yeah. of forces itself to slow down so it can do some other stuff. Right, right. Which I understand that impulse, but I'm with you. It doesn't. It does hurt the flow a little bit. And when um, Young Hee Bon, uh, the the father character, there's a there's a moment in the movie where he is uh, describing uh, some of the things that are going on, and he is shot. And I swear to you, it is shot just like those uh, kitchen scenes in Jurassic Park. Like oh, they're, I know they're, exactly which part you, you're talking about. You know what yeah, I'm talking immediately, about? Immediately, yeah. yeah. I, I like, didn't make that connection while I was watching it, but yeah, yeah they, they light him just like Jurassic Park. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that sort of intertextuality of the film is really really kind of interesting as well i mean there's not a lot of analytical um you know uh hay to thrash or whatever a uh, hay to make you make hay right you thresh grain um but there's not a lot of hay to make from that but it is it is an interesting sort of intertextual point with godzilla and with a number of other uh films that are out there in the world but uh, uh, go ahead well i was gonna say there's also another point because we get an appearance from paul laser uh from who, Silence of the Lambs, of the Lambs. who like yeah, he's also do. shot in those kind of same Jonathan Demi first person Fucking point of view, beautiful Demi close ups. Yeah. I thought yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, you love it, oh. you know. And, and and the amusing house wine is all I kept thinking about while he was yeah. looking at the screen. Uh, yeah. He's got a very very specific face. Yeah, I and, didn't make the connection that that's who that was when he showed up for some reason. And I should have because yeah, Paul Lazar has a face. Unique. He has yeah, a face, a very, much like Steve Buscemi. Huh. Right, who plays the monster? Yeah. Uh, it's a mocap, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Andy Circus performance. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it is a little slow there in the. There's like a, about after the hour mark for about twenty five thirty yeah. minutes or so. It does sort of drag for a second, but then it hooks right back up, and I'm all right with that. So yeah, good times had by all, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. And so we move on now to the next part of the show where we expand the syllabus. We're pretending like we are teaching a class in which this film is a. Uh, particular class period or module periods assignment, and then we're augmenting this with additional readings and or viewings. And so uh, you got to describe the class you're teaching and the sort of the theme that you're tackling and what you're wanting students to glean from this viewing and or readings. And I go to you first, Dalton. What does the syllabus look like for you if you're teaching the host? Well, i got to be honest. I'm taking an easy out this week. Oh, uh, loser. No, I'm not doing monster movies. Uh, we're just t- doing a class on Bong Joon-ho. Uh, it is uh, okay. Intro to Korean Cinema uh, through Bong Joon-ho. Thank you, Dustin. I know. Look, I, I, we try to avoid the uh, the easy ones like classes on a, the filmmaker, classes on one of the featured actors. But man, watching the host, you just feel... Again, auteur theory is something that uh, is a, a useful tool, but not the only tool you should have. But in, in the case of the host, and especially thinking about it in connection to Okja and Parasite uh, and Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer the, yeah. the four Bong Joon-ho films I've seen, uh, it's just you just look. I know the ones the ones that most people have seen. I got more homework to do, uh, but you look at this the set of four films, and it's just. I mean, this is this is an auteur. This is how they operate. He has a preoccupation with class that stretches across his films, and I've done my research enough to know that this preoccupation extends earlier in his filmography. Um, And I I just think it's so interesting um, and and a great way to get into Korean cinema, uh, especially because of how, number one, big and influential this Korean new wave, which we talked about last week, uh, has been uh, in international cinema, not just in Korea. Uh, but two, I, I think you see uh, in uh, Bong Joon-ho's work uh, a preoccupation with 
Korea's place internationally and historically um, th- that I do think speaks to uh, the cinema as a whole, at least what bits of it I have sampled. Uh, so I, I think it's really useful. So we're going to do the whole thing, man. We're, we're going to do them all. We probably won't get to watch all of them uh, in, in that class because, look, that's, that's how classes work. You don't always get time so to watch it. So it's going to be A class. It's going to be A class. Uh, yeah, and uh, we're doing them all, man. We're, we're going straight through. Uh, I've heard uh, that Barking Dogs Never Bite is uh, one of his weaker ones, but I'm excited to start with the, his first film. We're going to drop the shorts. I don't, know, I don't think we'll have time for him. He's got quite a few shorts. I think as many shorts as he has features, actually. Um, but yeah, Barking Dog Never Bites, Memories of a Murder, uh, Influenza, The Host, all the way through, uh, Tokyo Mother, Snowpiercer, Oakja, and Parasite. We're doing them all. Uh, we're going to look at them. And you know what? I thought he directed Thirst. Who directed Thirst? Uh, that Park. is Park. Park. Okay. Yeah. Park Chan-wook was uh, Thirst, which I got confused. Also Sorry. makes sense considering he's made other vampire movies. Well, it's Song Kang Ho, though, right? Yeah. Yes, yes Song Kang. it is. Uh, but again, I, I just man, I'm, I'm sign me up for the Bong Hive. I know we've been talking about this since we watched Parasite, but dude, I just love this guy. I can't get enough of his movies, uh, and I will be watching all of them at some point in my life. So, yeah, this is the time we're talking about the host that is kind of. Uh, really, if we're going to do a study of a filmography, it is an interesting place, and actually probably where we would start. I, I think uh, even though we're going to do the f- whole filmography, I think you start with the host, because boom, right there in the middle, and is kind of a solidification of theme um, and visual style. I can't, I can't get over the absolute immaculate badass hubris of doing a Demi close-up with one of Demi's featured players. That's cool. That is like, cool. That is just like saying, yeah, I know what I'm doing. It's gutsy. Yeah, I know my influences. That's And that's, to me, that is the funnest thing. Um, Are you flirting with me, Dr. Blah, 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 blah? <laughs> right. we, we've talked yes. on the show uh, a couple of uh, more times than I can count uh, about how all, all art is theft, and that's a good thing. Uh, what's the cooler uh, necessary next step is to then show your audience that you know that they know that they're stealing. And like to, as Dustin pointed out, again, that metatextuality really is a high point of this film, and I think a fun thing to look at throughout Bong Joon-ho's filmography because he's he's a student of the medium and he yeah, watches everything definitely. Um, and that's maybe another thing we'll take a look at. We'll definitely have to do some articles on the history of Korean cinema to kind of lay that groundwork. Uh, we'll probably uh, fold in some of his other contemporaries, even if it's just for clips. Uh, but I think the the class will probably be primarily structured around his career uh, and, and looking at what, if anything, that says about the, the cinema of Korea as a whole. Um, but uh, I, I think one of the other supplementals we'll probably look at is um, there's a lot of articles going on uh, around now um, after the big Parasite wins uh, where Bong's just saying, hey, these are movies you should watch. I like these movies. I think if you like movies, you should watch these. And there's at least one. I think there might actually be two different. I think he has like one list that's just Korean cinema and one that's a little bit of everything. I don't know. I've seen a lot of lists cool. with his name attributed to them yeah. lately. And I don't know if they're all the same one, but... Uh, yeah, I think that'll be a fun place to look at because it'll be fun to, uh, again, somebody who's so upfront about their influences, it's fun to kind of go through and look. I mean, and that's the same reason, um, I hate to invoke him, but uh, the same reason people keep talking about Quentin Tarantino for all this time and been talking about him since uh, you know, Pulp Fiction Reservoir Dogs. It's fun when somebody makes it pretty clear what their influences are, and it's, it is a fun Easter egg hunt for people who know a lot about movies, but I think it can tell you a lot about what a filmmaker's trying to, to, yeah. to work with. Again, using that Demi close-up tells you, uh, if you haven't figured it out from watching Bong's films, this is a dude that is interested and preoccupied with the ways in which people interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say almost 
as much, if not more, than he is preoccupied with class. Um, he's more preoccupied with how class impacts how people interact with one another or how systems interact with people. Uh, and I think that's going to be the really fun part when we get into the bureaucracies in Snowpiercer, in the host, in Okja, um, and in Parasite to a lesser, you know, less bombastic extent. But I think the, the his three most recent genre films, I think, really allow us to look at how systems impact the ways people are able to relate to one another. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's the class. Again, I know it is kind of the easy out, but I'm obsessed with this dang filmmaker, y'all. Very good, very good. I appreciate that very much. Um, Arthur, what is your class looking like? Oh, one of the things I thought of uh, in the moment where they are under quarantine in the, the lab and he gets the call from his daughter and they're like, oh, no, that didn't happen. You're dreaming it. I thought about government agency gaslighting. Oh, boy, yeah. Does that happen? Oh, uh, maybe once in a while. I think I he's could... doing sarcasm again. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to tell with him because that's just kind of his general affect. Yeah. I never know if he's being serious or not. Are I'm, you being cereal right now? I am always eating cereal. Yeah, you Captain Crunch with me right now, bud? Mm, I... You Count Sharky <laughs> with me right now, bud? I am cooking for Cocoa Puffs with you, man. Okay, all right, all right, Boo Bear. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that would be the, the angle I'd take. And I, started, I, like I recently that. started Firestarter, uh, which kicks off pretty quickly with some uh, some agency uh, gaslighting and with the main baby characters. Drew Barrymore. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. So I, I think that would be reading the book would be laying my groundwork there and, and discussing that interaction with the uh, evil agency entity mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, appears in a lot of sci-fi and horror uh, fiction. I think it's just a fascinating look. Um, and then from there, I'd move into, uh, oh my gosh, Clint Eastwood's The Changeling starring oh, yeah. Angelina Jolie. Uh, based on the true story about the mother whose son disappears and the police just replace him with another kid who looks nothing like him and no one will believe her. And she they, got railroaded. Yeah, and they put her in a, a institution and went south from there. Uh, so I think that would be the next stop. There's no human being that Clint Eastwood loves more than a human being done wrong by the system, man. <laughs> God. Oh, he loves him. Yeah, he does. Um, from there, I would switch directions a little bit and look at an agency that's played as the good guys, and that's Men in Black who are known for literally uh, gaslighting people with a little device where they can erase their memories and do whatever they want with them, um, which is eerie and scary, uh, but it's played for laughs uh, throughout the entire movie, even though Will Smith keeps questioning, why are you doing this to these people? Hey, Arthur, if the government says so, we have to accept it. What why? else can we do? There you go. Why do you keep flashy thing in them? It's a gas. It's, it's gas. <laughs> it's a gas explosion. Uh, and then finally, uh, a little ditty I actually just rewatched, I think, last night. I can't actually remember if I rewatched it or if it's the first time. I'm pretty sure I rewatched it. And that's Copland. Um, Ooh, I like Copland. Which is a little different element because we have this sheriff who is gaslit by the guys that he thinks are his friends. And they're like, oh, no, you know. Everybody here is up, upstanding, good people. You know, don't don't test us or do anything with mm -hmm. us because we're good people. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a really interesting dynamic. My play. third favorite James Mangold film. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's mm -hmm. a real fun, and I want to do it on the show someday. Oh, we absolutely will. Yeah. Uh, so that would be my course, though, and kind of look at these different agencies, cops, government, you know, scientist type institutions, and and exploring how they are navigated throughout history. I mean, it's not a new trope at all. No. Um, and the Gaslight, the movie came out in 44, I believe, with Joseph Cotton and Ingmar Bergman. Yes. Ingrid Bergman. Not Ingmar. Ingmar Bergman was not in the movie. <laughs> Inter Had, hey, you, you know, hey, you know what, though? <laughs> Interesting fan casting. Ingmar Bergman's <laughs> Gaslight, starring Max von Sydow and Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. I'm there for. There you go. And uh, and with that, I end my course. I'm going to throw you a freebie and say uh, Gaslighting by the, uh, the Mental Health uh, 
uh, industry uh, in Unsane. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. Oh, yeah. man, takes good, it to a whole other level, right? Good call. Yeah. One and of I, my great fears. One. I just read a uh, gaslighting short story by Luisa May Alcott. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called A Whisper in the Dark. Also a very similar kind of tale. Look, so. I'll tell you what. Uh, if you've ever been in a medical institution, had to talk to a medical or a mental health professional while you're, you know, in a building where they've already said you can't leave because you checked into the hospital... That's a high stakes conversation. <laughs> Correct. Uh, no matter how sane and in control of your brain you feel in that moment, everything you know if in, you say something wrong, everything is incredibly everything changes. Uh huh. Yeah. And I'm here now, so everything worked out fine. All right, but Dustin, stressful. take us to school. So, um, I want to do some environmentalism. I want to do some ecology uh, with this. Ooh, and yeah, uh, sure. like the movie's clearly themed around some of those kind of issues with the formaldehyde being dumped in the yeah. Han River. But I, I was thinking about particularly a couple of scenes in which uh, the daughter character, let me get my sheet out so I get her name right. Uh, the daughter's character is Hyun Seo, played by Goha Sung. That's Good awful. Enough. I think we'll you did okay. Best. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't speak Korean, but I listened to a lot of it the last month, and uh, I don't know, it didn't sound the worst. I'm trying real hard. You I, did your best. I, ho- I hope it sounds... Well, look, we're just a couple of, couple of si- uh, simple country podcasters. We don't know nothing about... <laughs> simple country podcasters. Well, I say, I say, again... Uh, <laughs> So, um, Working on your accents for Monster of the Week, I see. But, oh, you know it. <laughs> you know I am. Oh, my God. But there's, With there's... Benoit Blanc. Oh, God. Ben, the Father Benoit Blanc. Yo, I think I... <laughs> I, I, I am... Uh, I am there for this. Dustin, are you going to play a character from The Holler? <laughs> <laughs> I may or I may not. Andy, Andy and Barney go to... <laughs> Spooksville. Yeah, you can do somebody from the holler. I'll do somebody from Texas. We'll have a good time. I do declare the power of Christ compels you. Uh, enjoy oh, that tease, listener. For... Really derailed that. Sorry. Yeah. Well, hey, look. Now the listener knows we're going to play Monster of the Week for him at some point. Yeah. Um, on Patreon, so please subscribe. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there's a scene where she's in her captivity, and there are bodies that are being kept, and varying degrees of liveliness and lack of liveliness of these particular bodies. And there is something vaguely gentle about the monster in those scenes and vaguely sympathetic. It's clearly utterly alien to uh, um, human experience and human understanding. And uh, it's it's completely sort of an other, but it's also doing what it's, you know, evolved to do. Yeah. And so I'm thinking about sort of post-humanist ecology. Mm. And uh, so I think I might just for funsies um, add uh, the film um, The Bay, the found footage uh, infestation pollution uh, movie about uh, basically the Chesapeake Bay and sort of as an American counterpoint to the same kind of idea. But the readings I would want to add to this are uh, by a philosopher named Timothy Morton. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is a prolific writer on um, ecological and uh, sort of ecocentric kinds of criticism and and philosophy. But I I would only assign the two books that I happen to own and have read. Um, The first one being Ecology Without Nature. This idea of nature itself informing our aesthetics in such a way that nature becomes a thing that we own, that we control, that we possess, that... um, That That we exist separately from in our minds. Yeah, we exist separately from, and it's something that is to be subdued, to be dominated, and it's something that belongs to humanity beings rather than something that is shared by human beings um and so he begins to construct an aesthetic see he's got critiques of uh, several sort of um artistic texts lord of the rings among them Mm. uh which is interesting 
And uh, so I would w- begin with that textbook, and then I would also his, – his book, Dark Ecology, which is an utterly post-human understanding of the world. Okay. And he starts talking about the way in which we uh, think is about – it like an assumption of our extinction or just a thought experience of what, what if no us, um, regardless of why? Neither nor. Okay. Uh, okay. It, so in Dark Ecology, he, he says you know, the way in which we apply our morality to ourselves – and we think about limiting violence and accidents and the ways in which uh, sometimes human life is cheapened by, uh, well, in certain circumstances and situations. You think about the, the, you know, the Middle Ages or the medieval period in which uh, human life just kind of comes and goes. You know, the expectation of the death of children mm-hmm. is just sort of, you know, that it just a thing that happens or in the ways the early in, 20th century in some regards too. Yeah. Well, in the ways in which sort of war torn cultures, again, sort of cheapen the value of human life. And then he applies it to the cat that gets run over in your driveway. Hmm. Yeah. And says the way in which it is unceremoniously buried in the backyard. It's a, and, and makes a strong correlation there. Um, now again, I, I may or may not completely go with Morton in every place that he goes with that. But that being said, I think it's a really interesting set of questions to be asking and a very interesting uh, conversation to be having that we, we need to start thinking about the world. And, and he begins to blame the ecological catastrophe that is impending. That is one of his major concerns, mm. obviously, as an eco-critic. Uh, that the, part of the reason for the catastrophe is our sort of isolationist thinking about ourselves in reference to everything else, plant, animal, and mineral life on the planet. And so I, I think part of what we see in that opening scene of the host in which we got to get rid of this formaldehyde because apparently the bottles are dusty. How ridiculous is that? I love it, but how ridiculous is it? We have dusty bottles. I don't like it. I don't uh, like that dust. You know, uh, what was it? Brown-eyed women and uh, red grenadine. The the bottle was dusty, but the liquor was clean. That's a line from a Grateful Dead song. Um, you would know. Uh, well, I probably would know. <laughs> uh and uh, but the idea is again the bottle's dusty, but who cares, right? The the liquor would still be clean. The formaldehyde would be well not clean, but still you know formaldehyde preservative of you know embalming properties. I don't know. I I don't do chemistry. Talk to your wife. You she should say words about this probably. I uh, could ask her things. Yeah. Yeah, but nonetheless, the idea is that dumping that is you know kind of pointless. But it's also because of this sort of who cares. Right. It just who cares what happens with this? We're the only ones that here that really matter. And we don't really think about the broader consequences of our actions. Yeah, it's almost like there's this industry uh, that like knew it was killing the planet and then just kind of kept doing it anyway. Yeah, because yeah. it was making it's so almost much like that bloody happened. money. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's no regard for anybody other than the, the end consumption uh, of more. Hmm. That that it's almost like a real thing that happened. That's shocking and surprising. I, I where'd you come up with that? Uh oh, a little place called ExxonMobil. Oh yeah. Okay. So, um, but that would be the class is is reading some ecological philosophy, uh, which is quite fascinating. So Timothy Morton is a interesting thinker and writer, and I recommend him very very highly. So I uh, just want to throw that out there just for kicks and grins. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got uh, significantly longer. Let's move on and get down to business. And that business is, as always, my friends, analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna analyze all of this stuff. Okay, so I want to just talk about one thing that's going on narratively in this movie that I find really really fascinating. 
that the movie opens up with the monster mutated from the formaldehyde in the river, and that's cool and that's fascinating and it's very, very interesting. And there is, uh, at the very, very onset, this idea that there is contagion in the beast. Mm -hmm. And then there isn't. Mm -hmm. I just... I. I don't know if I have a lot of like analytical things to say about it, but I love the idea that we assume that there's a virus and then there's not. Well, it feels to me, uh, and again, we don't ever get confirmation of this one way or the other, whether or not the government ever does really think there's a virus or whether or not they're just playing along with the narrative. Uh, but it does, regardless of intent, it serves a function of control of information, mm -hmm. right? A, a lockdown on who knows what. Yep. That's why I invoked that line from... Uh, from Grandpappy uh, just a little bit ago, the if the government says so, we have to accept it. What else can we do? Because at the end of the day, yeah, uh, no matter how uh, quote-unquote free or democratic a society you live under, um, there is a certain amount of information blockage uh, as to who the people in charge of your life deem you deserve to know under the interests of, quote, national security. Absolutely. So regardless of whether or not the virus is real, it, it doesn't really matter. What matters is there's a, an excuse to limit yeah. uh, the dissemination Using of information. information. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, even I think we do see somebody with some breakouts, but causation is not correlation, and you know we we have no idea whether or not that's from the beast attack or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gengdu, um has a rash on his back too, like, uh, and we see a couple other people as you mentioned. Yeah, but it it doesn't. Again, we get confirmation by the end of the film that nobody's ever really been sick, probably. Yeah. but it's it's an opportunity. I mean, that's the thing. It's an opportunity for this sort of state action. That yeah. That's what's really kind of fascinating yeah. about it, is that the virus itself may or may not exist. Turns out it didn't exist, but who cares? Because it provides an opportunity for, uh, again, sort of martial law, yeah. uh, extended government outreach. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, if you want to tease that out. Oh, I, I mean, do. Yeah. We're talking about how timely this film is. We yeah. have an ongoing global pandemic happening as we're recording this uh i was the, gonna go back to the time of Ms. maybe you go with that i'm gonna do the next thing okay well i just think uh, talking about whether or not you wear a, a tinfoil hat it is not that large a leap of logic to say whether or not china wanted uh an outbreak uh outbreak an outbreak of covid19 it certainly gave them the opportunity to see how well they could quarantine a city or do a pretty good job of it mm -hmm. doing better than some countries with uh out free health care um, but you know, uh, also some people think they're just shooting people in the street over there. So who knows what anybody knows, man? Well, I was thinking about another sort of catastrophe disaster, which provided a government an opportunity to do the thing that they already wanted to do. And they operated on some extent of misinformation, like weapons of mass destruction. Yep. Oh yeah. Like yeah. a war, like a war in Iraq, uh, which had nothing to do with the, um, the, terrorist uh, bombing, not bombing, plane attacks on uh, the Twin Towers. Well, yeah, yep. they invoke it within the film, directly. Right. Yeah, and yeah. they also invoke uh, not-so-thinly-veiled uh, Agent Orange, uh, which, if you don't... Agent Yellow. Yeah. Oh, my word. Yeah, very, yeah. very funny. Uh, you might not know this, listener. Uh, obviously, you hear Agent Orange, you probably think Vietnam, but uh, we use Agent Orange in Korea, too. We sure did. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy, did we. Yeah, there was a, a whole second part of the Korean War nobody talks about where there was a little bit of a, uh, exchange going on in the DMZ. And uh, we used a shit ton of uh, Agent Orange. You know, to defoliate, just for, you know, safety, for security purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? sure, sure, sure. It won't hurt you. It, it won't turn uh, your insides into elderly person's organs. Yeah, or make you look like goo. Uh, mercy. <laughs> yeah, we sure are good at breaking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very frustrating. And again, this podcast, much like the film The Host, is neither pro or anti-American. We are 
critical of things that are bad. Right. <laughs> Objectively bad. That's fair. It's not good to drop poison on people. Freedom as a rule. of speech, religion, and assembly. We are big fans. Yeah. Also, imperialist wars. Not so much. No, not typically. No, no, no. So, yeah, yeah that's a thing. Well, let's. Uh, do we want to use this uh, as a moment? We're kind of talking about uh, conflict and colonization and all of these matters of which uh, Korean history is full of. Yes. Uh, this seems like a good time to give everybody a little bit more context on the Han River. Go ahead. Um, Arthur uh, found this in an article from uh, cinemaescapist.com. Uh, there's a, the, the title of which is, why anyone who cares about Korea should watch the host. Uh, and this is an excerpt from that article, kind of uh, given some context on, well, you'll see. Uh, as renowned Korean rapper Tableau describes in his song, Hood, Han is the name we gave to struggle and pain. The river runs through our city like it runs through our veins. Notoriously difficult to translate in English, Han is an amorphous sociological concept that denotes a uniquely Korean feeling, feeling of shared injustice and the collective misery that stems from it. Han derives from Korea's history of constant invasion and colonial oppression and often results in highly public displays of angst. Example, 30% of the population protesting against Park Geun-hye's corruption in 2017. 30%! A third of the population out in the streets doing mass demonstration. Unbelievable. They also have, this isn't mentioned here, um, this gets referenced in the host. They also had a huge uh, student protest movement in the 1980s, uh, nice. which got name-checked in um, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance as well. Uh, moving on. <clears throat> As Tableau hints at, Han also happens to be a massively poetic triple homophone. Though they have different uh, Hanja, Chinese roots, um, the sociological concept Han has the same sound as Han in Han River and Hanguk, the Korean uh, name for Korea. Mm. So uh, with this in mind, when the man on the bridge looks down into the Han River at the start of the host, he stares into South Korea's soul and sees a monster. In this sense, the monster is the host. In the host is a metaphorical embodiment of Han, a mysterious entity that wreaks collective suffering and injustice upon everyone who meets it. Dude, yeah, it's a good article. There you uh, go. Yeah, it was uh, a great article. But uh, I was even, aware of the um, word Han and its meaning. Um, well, thank you to the West Wing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I've talked to oh, a friend cool. of mine who's a big West Wing fan about this uh, episode uh, about the pianist who wants to defect. Right. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I, I found also uh, some more interesting stuff about. Uh, the, just what the river itself is called. Uh, it, it, there, we won't get into it. Just go to the Wikipedia article on the Han River, man. You'll learn a lot in about 30 seconds. It's yeah. it's a real brain blast. We love some Wikipedia. But all of that read to say this is a country who, uh, again, if you're not familiar, uh, is under Japanese occupation until the end of World War II and then gets divvied up by the United States and the Soviet Union and uh, have provisional military governments for a few years until they are officially North and South Korea or the, the Democratic People's Republic of Korea and the Republic of... What's South Korea call itself officially, at, like the UN and shit? Is it the Republic know. of Korea? I think it's just the Republic. It's not important. Um, so, yeah. And again, prior to that, if you're not aware, just getting invaded by China and Japan a bunch. Just a, a lot. lot for several hundred years. A couple thousand, actually, I think. But, I mean, this is why th this film is trying to speak and is using this Han River as its center point, as Arthur mentioned, there's not a lot of locations in this film. It's mostly, and it, all of the locations are centered around the Han. I mean, this is where uh, the Park family makes their living, is at this this little uh, snack shack at the Rivers Bank. Uh, the it is, tourist stop. Yeah, it's not only yeah. integral to the history of Korea and the conception of Korean identity, it's integral to this film and this family. 
Um, so don't, yeah, it's metaphorical. Sometimes yeah. films are. It's so metaphorical. It is. And the film, I love that the film wraps back around to gang watching the river at the end with this adopted family he's made and taking his father's place but still being the watcher of the river. I think that's a really poetic way to wrap that back up. Well, and also in there you have information that in any other monster movie would be super pertinent. We are getting like the closing narration on what is going to be the government's official story Fans, on what yeah. happened here, and he turns it off like because it. it's not important. Because who the, cares what they say? It's the very zombie movie that Shaun of the Dead does so well. Yeah. You know, just like eh, it doesn't matter what's on the news. Yeah, and, just and turn it, it off. And again, it's it's so it's teed up so so well yeah. uh, earlier in the film. This idea and and to see it brought home in that, those closing moments is is just really nice. And again kind of ties into what we just talked about this this both like kind of sociological and mythological conception of of this word in this river it, man damn dude well <laughs> i mean heavy let's talk about what a host is right if the han river is the stand-in for all of korea sure right and uh what, it, what a host obviously is that which um uh, feeds a parasite, a virus, a disease. It's where the parasite resides. It's where it resides. And, uh, you know, it seems to me that um, part of what um, is being suggested by the film is that what has infected Korean society is American influence and American sort of uh, negligence, right? Well, and at the very least, even if not that strong, it suggests maybe we should be trying to pushback a little bit mm -hmm. uh you know it's not saying south korea should have access to nuclear weapons which is a big part of our involvement there is there's a limit on their military and their, their weaponry it doesn't go that far in terms of like demanding autonomy for military action it would even go as far as to say no it's the, the damage is done mm -hmm. korea is forever changed by you know the post-world war ii era yeah uh, i think you make a very good point there dustin but it, even if it doesn't go that far it does seem to suggest like we should be asking more questions, man. Right. We should be a little bit more like Gongdu and say, hey, listen to me. My words are words. Uh, I think that is also... Uh, do, you, do you have any more thoughts on, on that? Well, I was thinking about our little am American soldier that uh, arrives during the sort of initial incident. Very right? gung-ho to take charge, wasn't very, he? Very gung-ho when it's too late and it's too little, and then he's the hero that everyone celebrates. Yep. And it's the Not tragedy and disaster of this one American man having lost his arm in the Maw of the Beast. Right, But he gets used by the Maw of the Beast if the Maw of the Beast is... Uh, the blockage of information, right? Because they lie about what happened to him. Mm -hmm. um, we get information late in the film about what actually happened to him, and hey, he was dead almost immediately. And they, the news pretended he was li alive and being, you know, monitored and treated for the virus. Right? No, he died of shock almost immediately. Oh, you he got his arm ripped off. The tragic loss of life by soldiers might be used as propaganda purposes by a government. You know, Dustin, I think I did mean to imply that. Yes, yeah, I did. Okay, seems to come up once in a while. Yeah, like. Uh, like if somebody threw away uh, a career making millions of dollars and got killed by their own government and then that government then pretended that never happened and in fact they were killed by uh, amorphous poor brown people somewhere. Mm, I, These aren't things that have happened. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. I don't ever remember people's names or dates or places. Safer that way. It, well, it is, and we won't get on lists. <laughs> but for real, though, do you guys remember that NFL player I'm talking about? Yeah, Pat you know? Tillman. Pat yeah. Tillman, thank yeah, you. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, let's cut through the kayfabe. I, yeah, Pat Tillman, I mean, right there. 
Mm-hmm. This is the this is the thing that happened. Shot by friendly fire and then re mythologized into um, somebody who was you know killed by terrorists because he had you know given up his career to fight terrorists. Well, and the Tillman family is able to argue. You know, I mean, they've made a lot of. There's documentaries about it. Like, there's been pushback, and I think that kind of brings us to. Uh, Arthur's syllabus, right? The the idea of when when institutions just won't listen to you, <laughs> when the people who are on the ground who have firsthand information that might be relevant aren't listened to or not considered at all. Um, she called me. I know she's a life crazy, right? Well, yeah. c- and it, this comes back to we we were talking earlier on. You know, the Arthur mentioned the the really beautiful monologue that Yun Hee gives about. You know, I don't know where I went wrong, and that's that's kind of where it implies you're right. I don't, I don't think we're led to believe he's he might have like a learning disability. Is kind of what it yeah. seems like uh, yeah. of some kind, but that's really about as far as the film goes because it's not interested. It was like in an arrested label. development type situation. Yeah. He wasn't able to fully like a poverty induced yeah. kind of in development there, right? Because he was on the right track, is is what we're led to understand. Yeah, he was a super just, smart kid, and yeah. he did wasn't eating then enough. Life just held him back. Yeah, yeah. Was not eating properly, and that will hamper a child's mental development. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it is implied that, like, that lack of development is the thing that makes it so hard for him to interact with bureaucracies that only understand uh, the king's English, as it were. Not not literally English, but, like, if you can't speak bureaucracy, you're fucked. Well, uh, honestly, if you if you can't be of the class that we listen to, well, there it is. Yeah, I mean that that's the real problem. There's a real set of shades of Flip Michigan, as I was listening uh, to that particular um, monologue from Kong's uh, song Kong Ho, uh, that where, where he's talking of you know, listen to me, pay attention. I I know that you know he I've gets two from, or three of these moments. Right. Yeah. She called. I answered the phone. All you got to do is do a trace. We don't do things for people like you like that. We're not going to check this out. And people in Flint, Michigan saying, the water is killing us. We have these problems. I mean, you pull it up, pour it out of the tap. It looks like this. And the ways in which it's not part of the narrative, it's not part of the discussion that the uh, uh, the Michigan government's wanting to put together or the government of the United States wants to put together. And they keep pretending like it's a non-problem. And then you have President Obama you know, wetting his lips with tap water to pretend as though everything is fine and dandy. Can't right. roll my eyes hard enough. I know, right? Obama's the worst. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Oh, yeah. We can get into that. Hit, uh, D- DMs are open uh, for Dustin, not for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm not on Twitter anymore. Yeah, because I'm not a liberal. Um, I'm a radical. Moving right along. Kisses. Uh, well, speaking of radicals, uh, that, that does kind of bring us around if, if my very first segue to Nam Il, uh, the brother character, mm-hmm. uh, who is, uh, again, talking about South Korean cinema having its finger on the pulse. 2006. This is two years before the bottom drops out of the global economy. And they're already talking about unemployed university graduates. Mm-hmm. It's already a problem, and it was already a problem here, too. It just, again, it's finger on the pulse, already knowing, like, what are the concerns and issues of the day that are relevant if you're telling a story set in a, your contemporary society. I gave the best years of my life to further this democracy. Yep. And, and they can't even give me a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, great line. Yeah. And again, I mean... The but but how I love the wraparound on this again. We talked about character arcs earlier, right? All we know about him is he's a drunk and he was a political activist and he saves the day by making Molotov cocktails out of soju bottles. This that is rules. the li- the life arc that I'm aspiring to. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, my life arc that I'm aspiring to is is to own a snack shack by a river where I, I raise an orphan. Okay. Yeah. So we have, yeah we all have similar goals. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really funny because he does kind of pay that off in in Parasite because. 
uh, I think Kevin gets that line early on when he's talking to his friend, you know, or maybe maybe Song gets it in the movie, but he's saying, you know, university graduates are lining up to not even not even be able to get a security job, and his mm-hmm. boy's going to be a tutor. Yeah, you know, yeah. There, I mean, there it is again. Yeah, yeah fourteen years later, we're still significant problem. Yeah. I mean. I'm on PhD Twitter, and uh, I can't tell you how many... That sounds like a hellhole. Uh, it, well, it is, because <laughs> obviously you're working with institutions that are not you know, properly compensating you for your yep. um, teaching assistantships. Yeah. You're working with situations where you have uh, advisory committees that are less than helpful, and then you're working with a job market that doesn't exist, and now you yep. are overqualified to do anything yeah. and uh, underqualified to do... You can't um, get a job at McDonald's if you wanted to. You just have to lie through yes. your teeth. You can't tell like, me you've yeah, got a PhD because they yeah. won't hire you because they think you're going to bug out as soon as you get yep. the real job, yeah. which you actually can't get. Yep. Yeah. It's the worst. I faced that problem once. Well, you're overqualified for McDonald's? Sonic, yeah. Sonic, oh yeah. my gosh. It's Savage. A, yeah. Savage. It is crazy. I just need a job, man. Just pay me. Hey, there you go, graduates. If you're having a hard time finding employment, lie. You don't need to tell these motherfuckers you got a college degree. They don't care. Sometimes it's not great to boast about your GPA and your degrees. I got news for you. My the degrees g- keep me satisfied. The, the job you need that degree to get doesn't care about your degree either. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. But if you can sell yourself, that's all that matters. Yeah, it's, well, it, speaking of uh, problems that the host brings up that are only getting worse... Uh, it really is funny to just, like, after the cold open of formaldehyde down the drain, uh, we get the wraparound to people's first reaction to seeing something in the river is to throw trash at it. <laughs> this is fun. This <laughs> is fun. Just throw plastic bottles throw and shit in the river. at it, yeah. 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 Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, all the plastic that the c- current generations alive on this planet are consuming every day just by being alive uh, if we make it through the next hundred years, we are going to be robust and hard to kill, like cockroaches. Yeah. Uh, because if we can consume oil and live, we're going to be unstoppable, y'all. <laughs> Kidding me? Uh, but anyway, there, I don't really have any like deep thoughts on that. I just thought it was a really funny like uh, ties into the highlighter whole. on the like yeah. this is what this movie's about. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Um, other major themes that we want to discuss, if any. We got into this a little bit, uh, or I mentioned it briefly that you know in any other monster movie that part at the end would be important. Um, how how do you guys think this functions as as a monster film in terms of you know meeting what expectations you have for that kind of genre, subverting that genre, etc. I'm just I gonna mean, want to talk about it as a monster movie, not as political allegory. It does Godzilla well, um, insofar mm-hmm. as Godzilla is a political allegory as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, and yeah. Uh, it, it, it does it well, and it does so in a way that I think is sort of ongoing. And uh, this idea that you don't kill the monster necessarily at the end. I mean, there's a great sort of uh, cathartic end, you know, with uh, sort of a Beowulf kind of moment with the pipe spear in the maw of the beast again. That I love that. It would go and do immediately, like. As soon as the monster's dead, he seems kind of sad that he had to kill it. Right. Yeah. And well, I think that's the great thing about the way the monster's framed. I mean, it's, from the get-go, it's sympathetic. You know, it's just trying to do the You know, like I said, it's just trying to do the thing it's evolved to do. And it's not its fault that there's humans in the way. Yeah. And I think Bong treats it with a great sentimentality that mm-hmm. we don't normally see from a monster movie, other than maybe Godzilla here and there. Um, but, you know, it's more than just a roaring beast. It, it's just a creature trying to survive like any of the other creatures in, in Korea. Well, it's given such a, I think that's, he does a great job of speaking to that, but like it has such a 
grace in its movement. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and again, obviously, it's got the, the tail swinging thing. The little it acrobatic does. thing it does with the bridge is really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was thinking of that, but even the way it dives into water, I mean, the way mm-hmm. it runs, uh, yeah. when it gets tripped up, it's because things are in its way. But when it's moving uninhibited, it's an extremely graceful creature. And then when it's in its home, um, the, the special effects team does a really good job here of giving some some tactile reaction to what the cgi creation is reacting with you'll see like wet footprints and you know things get moved uh but the way it moves in its little home where where um uh, oh my gosh hyun seo ends up uh for most of the movie um it, it moves very delicately and gently as, as dustin mm-hmm. alluded to uh earlier it, it has a gentleness to it and i think that really helps again prevent us from being we're always scared of the monster but we're never like mad at it. I well, uh, what like. it does is it. I don't know. It, it gives that gentleness. It gives that grace to it um, without an, without anthropomorphizing it. It doesn't create like uh, sort of the King Kong and the uh, Jack Black, Peter Jackson, yeah. um, Naomi Watts uh, recent yeah. remake of mm-hmm. King Kong, in which uh, you pretty much just project some human emotions onto um, the ape King Kong. Rather, it's it is purely an animal of instinct, mm-hmm. and its instincts are morally neutral. Yeah, and so it's not always wanting to feed. It's not always wanting to kill. But there are sort of instinctual drives that drive it, and uh, and sometimes it wants to swim. Sometimes it wants to play in the water. Sometimes it wants to do its little fun, you know, uh, trapeze hanging thing just off the bridge for kicks and grins. And then sometimes you might like a bass fish make it angry by throwing things in the water, which is what bass fish do. That's how you catch them. They don't actually want to eat the worm. You make them mad by the worm, and they have you know antagonized the beast and the beast does antagonistic things thereafter and i i really enjoy that about the sort of characterization of the monster well which is an interesting thing if we uh because as you mentioned i mean godzilla is a political allegory too i would argue the monster is always a metaphor to bring it around to how metaphorical yeah. uh, colossal with Anne hathaway and jason sudeikis it becomes less a political allegory uh, and more an interpersonal allegory, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, the monster's always about something else. It's never about the damn monster. Why would anybody make a monster movie? People, yes, monster movies are fun, and they entertain us all, and oh, good fun, smash, smash, brain off. The monster's always about something. Even in Michael Bay movies, those Transformers are about something. Even if Michael Bay doesn't know they're about something. Um, but to your point about the grace uh, of the monster, it does, if we except the preposition that the monster is the United States, it does still, as uh, we talked about earlier, doesn't come down as anti. It just is. Mm-hmm. The monster got created through a lot of things that can't be undone, and it just reacts to attack. It doesn't know any other mode of existence other than lashing out at things it feels are a threat. And uh, right, look, that's a pretty sympathetic look at uh, a country that uh, Bong Joon-ho has reason to be mad at. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I, that I, reading a lot. Well, I just you mentioned the grace and uh, the otherness of it. I thought that was a fun wraparound because we already talked about, you know, what the monster potentially represents. Um, to that, uh, Dustin talked about the otherness and R three. You mentioned the the the, the shine of the deadness of that. Uh, I do uh, of that ending. Yeah, I, I do like that. How little we know about the monster. The movie does not care about letting us know about the monster. And I just every time something interesting happened with a monster. Uh, I just kept thinking about, man, like uh, a bad American version of this movie. Like I was just picturing the bad American remake. Every one of these scenes we have to like, why did the monster spit up bones instead of people like it's done already? We'd have like an entire monologue about its digestive yeah. processes. Well, and it's a mother and it's taking care of its eggs or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. We, there has to be something that we can understand. I mean, that's the Godzilla, uh, 1998's Godzilla, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, 
and maybe this is a, f- a fun place to I've my final thoughts. Uh, sorry. Well, Dustin already said, like, let's take it home if you got anything. And I think the thing that I've been enjoying about South Korean cinema as part of this marathon is the expansion of what is possible in a story, in a film. Uh, And I think that is something that their cinema just excels at, is reminding you that the three-act structure, the save-a-cat rules, all this bullshit that Hollywood spent 60 years convincing itself is the only way to make movies. (laughs) Nobody cares about that. Literally no one cares about that. The only people who ever cared about that were studio executives, and it's because they're too dumb to know a good script when they see one. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to explain it to them like they're children, because they are. They're coke-addled children. Um, I don't know any movie producers. It's just fun to pick on them. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's the thing that I, I enjoyed about the host and all of these movies is it just, it's always surprising. It uh, always gives. Very good, very good. Okay, well, if that's the last of our thoughts, let's go ahead and render a verdict about this film. Shelf or trash? What do you say, Arthur? Yeah, let's shelve it. Why not? I, I like it a lot. Good. All right, what do you say, Dalton? The exact same. Um, I like it a lot. Why not shelf it? I also say yes, shelf it. Okay. Yeah, look. There, well, that there was easy. That's very good. Uh, if you like... No debates here. Yeah. Uh, if you want to debate with us, you can find us on Twitter at good underscore trash. We can't promise we'll engage with you, but you can. Uh, you can find this show and everything else we do over on the internet at goodtrashmedia.com. Uh, you can find our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash GTM. If you're interested in that Monster of the Week talk we got into earlier, uh, there'll be something up there eventually. Um, and, and not like the Soderbergh miniseries that we never watched. <laughs> yes, we've moved forward with this one. Yeah, we're, we've this actually... This is a lot yeah. more tactile than, than Ste- that. Steps are in process on this one. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, other plugs. Uh, oh, the Borgo cast with Dustin is back. If you oh, like, yeah. If you like vampires and are interested in that... gothic Really things. cool stuff. Uh, You've Got Love, Arthur's podcast that he does with Keisha, his wonderful uh, spouse, who's nice enough to let the three of us uh, in- invade... Uh, the space uh, every week they do a show together called You've Got Love and it's it's back for its second season and uh, if you like relationships you like movies that's good listening to uh, and of course there's always the praise down with Heath and Alex those wacky boys doing wacky things so yeah that's that's some of the stuff we got for you go on the internet find it alright very cool Um, is there yet another film in our Song of Praise marathon Arthur? we are coming to the final verse next week as we take a look at Zhang Hoon's A Taxi Driver the article is very important if not, you'll be uh, watching uh, Mr. Bickle do some dirty deeds in New York. Now, I'm going to say this now, so we don't have to go through this at the start of next week, like we do all the time. Dustin, you're not allowed to make any taxi driver jokes in the cold open. You've got to think of another bit. Okay. All right. I'm saying it now, because <laughs> I can already... Look, got, no, I actually... The jokes we opened this show with, I can already see how next week's going to start. I can't other, handle it. I already have other jokes. I'm so prepared. <laughs> very so, excited so there you go dear listener you keep watching we'll keep talking and we'll see you all next time I'm not afraid I'm not afraid